Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. Let's turn to the scriptures today, and we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're only going to look on a few scriptures because the scriptures in here are extremely profound. They're easy to understand, but have huge implications. Now let me make a note of Genesis 1 through 3. I've taken this amount of time to slowly unpack Genesis 1 through 3. And then once we get in chapter 4 on, the pace picks up because you get into historical narratives. But right now, we're looking at principles and concepts that are extremely deep. So chapters 1 through 3 cover the foundations for the rest of the Bible. And you'll see these themes continue on throughout all the narratives of the 66 books of the Bible. That's why I've taken so long to unpack this, because I don't want to gloss over it. It's important to understand these things. So what you're going to see today, it's an easy principle, but it's hard to do. It's not very theological per se that we have to get into some deep theology. You don't. It's being human and the proclivities we have, and it's something that continues to plague us even to this day. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit. So the title of today's message is called Own It. And what you're going to see with Adam and Eve is they simply want to pass the blame for what they have done. And as you know, the story, we've talked about it, we've studied it, is they have succumbed to Satan's temptation. They have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin has now corrupted them. They're separated from God. So God goes to look for them in the garden and is going to confront them. Well, the minute they get confronted, watch what they do. But this goes into what you see in our culture. And this is really profound. We are now watching our culture get away from the Bible, right? And you know that. But when you get away from the Bible, several things start crumbling down. And the big one that you probably have noticed is that when you take the Bible out, people stop being responsible for their lives. The Bible teaches that you're responsible for your life. When you take that component out and you teach it to public school kids and you teach it to college kids and the universities and our our media is like this, what has happened now is that you have a victimhood society now. So everybody throws down what we call the victim card, right? Everyone has one of these in their wallets, the victim card. This is what they use all the time. They don't want to be blamed. They use it at school. They use it at work. And it's gotten so ridiculous, guys. Look at the college campuses. They need puppy dogs and Play-Doh because they're so triggered and victimized by people who have opposing viewpoints. Like this girl, for instance. Take this girl right here. She says, I'm lactose intolerant. So when cereal commercials put milk in their cereal, I get triggered. Like they're personally attacking me for not being able to eat cereal with milk. I mean, that's how ridiculous things are becoming, that anything offends people and that you got to really be politically correct in what you say and what you do because you might trigger somebody. Unbelievable. We can't live in a society like that. It's just not doable because when you live in a society like that, people stop taking responsibility. Some of these things that you're going to see in the passage is that 
Adam and Eve, for them, it's easier to blame than to change. They don't want to change. They just want to blame. And that's what our society is becoming like. And unfortunately, it's not going away because a lot of the churches are playing into this victim mentality and allowing it to happen. Have you heard the term bullying? It seems to be a very common word that a lot of people are using these days. Now, there is legitimate bullying. I I get that. And so do you. But today, the term bullying could be used against you and I for having opposing views against LGBT marriage. That if you and I disagree with gay marriage, oh, then we're a bully. Or if I disagree with abortion, I'm a bully towards women's rights. And so the term bullying now is being thrown at everybody that doesn't agree with them. That's scary, guys, because this lends itself into hate speech and hate crimes and all kinds of stuff. And this is where it's going. Eventually, the things I say from the pulpit will be considered bullying. The things you say as a Christian will be considered bullying. And all you're going to be really doing is stating the facts of what Scripture says. And what's happened? What's the results of this mentality of victimhood? And, and boy, if you have an opposing viewpoint, that's bullying. You're triggering me and, and whatnot. You know what it's created? Emotionally fragile people. Emotionally fragile people. Now, you know what the term for that is? Snowflakes, right? Have you heard that term? Really what's happening, they're psychologically, emotionally fragile. Because they've grown up in environments where everyone has told them they're a wonder kind, that they can't make mistakes, and you can't correct them. Because if you do, boy, how can you correct a wonder kind? He's supposed to be Superman or Superwoman. And they're offended that you would even say they're wrong, that they they even think differently. It's really created a society that is emotionally unstable. Have you noticed that? Let me explain this. When you create the fragility emotionally in an individual and that they can't be corrected, they can't hear opposing viewpoints, otherwise they go crazy, it leads guys to high levels of psychotic behavior, which we're seeing in society. The millennials, as an example, high rates of depression, high rates of suicide. When you study them, that's what's happening. They're so emotionally fragile, they end up committing suicide and going into deep, dark depression because they simply can't deal with reality. And that's what we're starting to see. What does the Bible say? What we've been studying is that this, the world is broken. There was a fall. Everything fell. The creation fell. Man fell. And you and I live in a world that's pretty tough, pretty harsh. And if you don't get some thick skin on you and you don't really deal with reality, then you're going to get crushed by it. God wants us to be tough in this reality that we're in. To understand, look, they're not going to like you. That death and disease and sickness are a part of life, and you're not going to get away from that. That you're going to have to embrace reality. And when you embrace reality, you will have the steel of soul to be able to deal with it. But if you try to escape reality, you will become emotionally fragile. And that's what we're seeing with our society. And so... 
The hard part about this, guys, which our culture is having a hard time, is embracing the fall. No one has an easy time embracing the fall. But if you don't get this concept of understanding that you live in a broken world and it's jacked up and it's going to have a lot of stuff thrown at your, your way, whether by Satan and his demons, whether it's by the, the people of this world or it's the fallenness of the world or yourself doing things, if you don't get a grip with that, you won't live the abundant life that God wants you to live. You won't know how to live that way because you'll be running for escape the whole time. One of the things about owning it is owning the environment you live in. Now, we live in Bakersfield, and it ain't the prettiest place in the world, obviously, but a lot of people don't want to own it, so to speak. They want to go other places and dream of being somewhere else, and that's and I get that. But really, in reality, you have to start owning where you live. And it's beyond Bakersfield. I'm talking about where you at in your station of life. You have to start owning that that you made decisions to get to the station of life. Yes, bad things happen to you, and God's not going to deny it. You had a, maybe a bad upbringing. Bad tragedy happened to you. God's not denying that at all. But here's what God is saying. You might have had a bad upbringing. You might have got, got yourself in bad things, in bad situations. And God's response to you is this. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to sit there, whine that you're a victim, that you can't do anything and play the victim card? Or are you going to say, okay, I live in a fallen world. These things are, are, were told to me by God that this would happen to me. So what am I going to do about this? How am I going to take action to get on the path that I need to be on? And that becomes a crucial question you and I have to ask ourselves. We'll get more into that as we go into the application. But that just sets the stage for us. And we're going to explore this pretty deep. Let's look at the overall context so we know where we're at in the text. So let's do some backtracking. We've studied this. I just want to read it so we can get a good feel where we're at. If you missed this, the last two weeks we tackled this. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. So Satan's going to use the nakash to tempt Adam and Eve. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he's, Satan is putting doubt into their minds. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she adds, she lessens, she minimizes. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. So that's a flat out denial. So you go from doubt to denial. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's a half truth. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. So this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So he plunged into it knowingly, by the way. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. We talked about that last week. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And here's where we're at in the story. Now, so God is confronting them. Watch the reaction, okay? Verse 12. 
Then the man said, Adam, the woman whom you gave to be with me. Let's just unpack that right now before we even move on. Do you see what he did? He would not own it. He did eat of it, right? But who's the first person he blames? His spouse. Boy, Lord, if you hadn't given me this wicked woman, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So the first thing he does, technically speaking, is he does a direct blame of the woman. It's a direct blame. So he's making an excuse. It's her. Then notice the woman whom you gave to me. Hey, it's you, you, hey, you gave her to me. She did this to me. You knew she was going to do this. Why would you give her to me to, to, and I ate? He's doing the math. And he says, she's wrong and you are wrong. Oh, oh, mercy. You're going to blame your spouse and then you're going to lay it at God's doorstep and say, no, nah, this is on you, dude. This is on you because didn't you create her for me? And both of you are the culprits, right? Yeah, that's it, right? That's the attitude. Classic. I don't know who painted that. It was a Rembrandt or not. Classic. He captured it perfectly, man. Perfectly. And you're thinking, are you out of your mind, Adam? Are you completely out of your gourd to lay it at her feet and lay it at God's feet? Let's, let's go backtrack. We know that the woman was deceived by Satan, but Adam wasn't. He knew full well what was going on. He was sitting there watching the whole thing play out. He didn't say a word, passive. We call that the Adam syndrome, just totally passive, watching the whole thing play out. Saw you take the fruit, and then he just ate whatever she gave it. He went right along with the program. Talk about a passive man. That's him. And so he wasn't deceived. He knowingly took of it, which makes the crime worse. But here's what's the problem. The criminal has become the victim. Did you see that? He's the criminal, and he's become the victim. So he's doing the blame game thing. I find it funny. I took my CCW class a couple months back, a renewal, and uh, it's amazing. They will show you these clips of perpetrators going through a house and caught on video and stuff like that. And they tell you on your CCW class, hey, what you can do and can't do with your gun, right? And they'll go through this whole legal thing that there seems to be more laws protecting a criminal in your house than for you. And you walk out of your CCW class saying, I don't have any rights. The criminal has more rights in my house. Like, I just can't shoot him or anything. No, you just can't do that. Uh, you know, he's got to be coming at you, and he's got to have all these things. And I'm like, well, I'm fighting with one arm behind my back. If a guy have, is in my house and is going to kill and murder my family, I'm not going to wait and say, hey, what are you up to here? Are you drunk or, you know, What? Yeah, you don't shoot him if he's drunk. He could have been stumbling in your house and you don't know if he got into the wrong house. He's in my house. But again, what happens with our legal system? The criminal becomes the victim. So that's what's happening here. And the idea says, and he goes, you gave to be with me. So he blames God. She gave me of the tree and I ate. So he minimizes it, says it's her fault, I, you know. And so here we go. Do you understand, though, that this concept 
of blaming other people and blaming God for actions is timeless. It started here and it continues to go. It'll be a theme throughout the entire Bible. You'll see it all the way carried through. The big deal is that people will blame God. That's the big crux of the matter. Because they'll have enough theological understanding that, well, you know, like Adam did, you created her. Aren't you omniscient? Aren't you all powerful? If you knew she was going to do this, why did you give her to me? She's not a helpmate. She's a hindrance to me. Or, you know, you know, could you give me someone else? Because you, you're God. And people will play this game. And they'll say things like this. God, why did you let me marry this person? That's classic. If you knew he was going to be like the God, you're God and you know foreknowledge, you know what he's going to be in 20 years and he's going to be useless or a deadbeat or whatever or this mean ogre. Why did you let me marry him if you knew this? And so what happens is that answer doesn't get answered because you know what? They won't own it. You made a decision to marry him. There was a lot of people that warned you about him, but you didn't listen because you could change him, couldn't you? You thought you could change him, but he, you can't. Only God can change people. And so they then lay that at the doorstep of God. God, why did you allow me to go into this career? You knew it eventually would dry up. You knew we would lose business. Why did you lead me to start a restaurant business or whatever? And then it go belly up. You sh should have told me, God, and I would have listened to you. I would have walked the path. But see, that game is starting to be played by a lot of people. And unfortunately, when you play that game, the distance between you and God will start separating more and more. And you won't like God because you think he's doing things to you when you start blaming him. James 1 talks about, and I'll paraphrase, you can't blame God. You can only blame yourself. That's the issue. And James 1 picks up on that. So our propensity is to offload offload. It's our human nature to fail to take responsibility for our lives. Let's turn to the text and we'll get some more application on this. Verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, so now he moves to the second party, what is it you have done? Now God knows, right? But he wants a confession from her. So the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Notice that it's true what she said. He did deceive her, right? It's a statement of truth. By the way, Adam's statement had truth in it too, by the way. He didn't just make it up. I want you to catch this. Adam said, the woman gave to me and I ate. True. That's true. The serpent deceived me and I ate. True. She's not making that up. What is she not doing? She's not owning it. It's true what happened. I get it. I get what happened to you and Adam, that there was a tempter that came through, Satan, and this happened to you. I get it. I was deceived. True. Oh, guys, don't miss that one. Don't miss that at all. We'll get more into the application. It is very true that all of us sitting here have been through traumas, tragedies, a bunch of junk thrown out of our way, all kinds of stuff that's happened to us. None of us are getting out of life scot-free. Everyone here has scars. No doubt about that. God is not denying that. And we can truly say, hey, this happened to me. True. My parents were neglectful. True. 
but what's the real issue? See, what happens is today, modern psychology has taught to identify those things that have hurt you, which is not going all the way. It's true you need to identify what happened to you so you can learn from them and not repeat them and not let them affect you. But modern psychology just stops there. Not all psychology, but, but most of it. Most psychology, you go to a secular person, you tell them what happened to you, and that's where it stays. You've identified it. Okay, you had a tragic marriage, or you were molested, or you were raped, or you had a divorce, whatever it is. It's true. Modern psychology keeps it there and says you're a victim now. God doesn't want you staying there. You can identify it, true, but then what are you going to do about it? Are you going to take responsibility to fix it, to get better, to get healthy? See, that's what modern psychology won't do. It won't go the next level. It stays there. Because you know why? It pays to have people victimized. Do you know why? Because when you're a victim and you're not responsible, people can control you. You've had no education in your life. You were born into poverty, and you've had a tough life. So let us give you free things from the government, and we'll keep our thumb on you and control you because you're a victim. Oh, you got pregnant eight times by three different guys. Oh, you're a victim. You, you, you're just a victim. And, and yeah, you just, you just, we don't know why you had eight babies. No, you're immoral. You're immoral. That's why the three guys you are with are not married to you. And that's why you have eight kids and you have your, uh, you know, these, what are they called? Mama daddies or baby mamas and What's the phrase? Baby daddies. You have all these baby daddies and baby mamas. Is that the term? Yeah, that's okay. Baby, I knew I was somewhere in close. And you have all these. And it's oh, it's it's. We we got to provide this woman with all the. Hey, I get that. I get that. But did anyone stop to say, let's time out? Um, I get that she has eight kids. Let's take a time out. No more sex out of marriage, lady. No more. Done. Please stop. We can't keep paying for your babies. But no one will tell them that, right? Because they're a victim. They're a victim. And the more they're a victim, the more stuff they get for some reason. That's what happens when you take the Bible out of society. That's what happens. We're seeing the results of a, a complete class of people in our culture who are completely victims and love getting freebies. That's what it's all about. So, what about the application on this? And see, that simple to understand, right? But now let's apply it because now it starts getting really kind of tough. I saw a shirt the other day, and I think I want to get it and wear it out in like the mall. This would be great if I walked through Valley Plaza. Zero percent victim mentality. Wouldn't you just love to walk through the mall like that? Just, just hold it out. Hey, hey. And just let them see it. Because you see it all over the place, right? But the real issue is, what is this teaching? What is this passage teaching us? Well, it starts with us. It starts with us. So we all know that as a baseline. Okay. Let me take you through the application of this, which starts getting a little uncomfortable. Okay? Because we're all in this together. I'm struggling with this as much as you are, because it's a human condition. Number one, we blame because we make ourselves feel temporarily better 
But when we do, we still have the problems. And we can never get away. The guilt will still be there. Blaming people for the issues that they did to you. And maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Regardless, the guilt will still be there. You say, well, Brandon, you just don't understand my situation. I was put in a hard pinch. I didn't know what to do. And, and so, you know, I did the best I could. No, that's called situational ethics. Doing the best you could was, that's not the way we operate. We don't do the best we could. We do what the Bible tells us to do. That's how we function. And what happens is people, it allows the guilt to be there. And, and here's the deal. Like we've seen, the excuses are usually true with people. I really haven't met anybody in counseling that um, when they tell me their story and they tell me what's going on, that it's not true. I've rarely met anyone that just makes it up. True, a lot of stuff happened to them. No doubt about that. It's tragic. But that, that's the problem. It, 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 you could have those things, bad upbringing, you know, bad spouse, bad relationships, but what are you going to do about it? It's true that a person maybe was bent on your destruction. It's true. Maybe you had a spouse that was like that. Maybe you had a parent that was like that. Well, what are you going to do about that? It's true that maybe there's no single eligible people out there that you can't find to marry. It's true. So what are you going to do about that? It's true that your metabolism causes you to gain weight easily. It's true. I'm not going to doubt that. Well, what are you going to do about that? See, the Lord always puts it back on us. So what are you going to do about that? Point number two, you have to start focusing on what you can control and don't focus on what you can't control. And that becomes the problem. I can't control what happened to me in the past. Neither can you. It's in the past. We can't go back. We can, we can process it, but we can't change Things. We can't go back in time and, and rearrange the environment. It is what it is. And you're here at this point. So you have to remember, what then are you responsible for? Well, there's a good story in the New Testament. It's a parable that the Lord gave for believers. And you know it pretty well. It's called the parable of the talents. Now, in the story, as you recall, there's a master and three servants. One servant is given five talents. The other one, two talents. The other one, one. Master leaves. And then when he comes back, he settles accounts. about what they did with what he gave them as a steward for serving the master. And basically, it's a passage about us. You know, what are we going to do with the life God gave us? And when he returns, he's going to settle accounts. And you know it well. Well, the one guy with the five talents, as you recall, he doubled it. Master, here's five talents. You gave me five talents, here's ten talents. Well done. Then the other guy doubled his talents, two talents, right? And he, he doubled it to four. Well done. And then we deal with the guy who had the one talent that went and buried it under a tree, so to speak, and did nothing with that because he was a victim. And I want you to see how this plays out. Watch, I want you to study this really closely. This is in Matthew 25. We'll start in verse 24. It says, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. What did he first do talking to the master? Victim. Did you see it? Victim. I'm at your mercy. 
because you're such a harsh man, you don't provide where you lead. You didn't give me enough tools to help me. It would be like this. It would be like Adam, when Adam was told, name the animals. It would be like, I can't believe he told me to name the animals. He didn't give me a list to work through. He didn't give me a possible names to even consider. What kind of boss is this? There's no, there's no support for his employees. Uh, it's just, I don't feel like I'm being taken care of because he should have helped me in naming the animals. So Adam probably would have got a lawyer and sued God in a class action lawsuit for not giving him enough support to help name the animals. I mean, that's how our society works. But what did God tell Adam? Name the animals, and it's on you. Right? So this guy's coming to the Lord and making excuses. So now, now you have to start seeing past the, the parable into the application. It's an individual believer making excuses for their lives and blaming Jesus for it. That's what I want you to see through the application on this. Someone would do that? Oh, yeah. They're blaming God. And what are they saying about God? You're harsh. You're exacting. You don't give enough to serve you. There's not enough supplies. And because you don't give enough supplies... I didn't do anything. There's not enough help. Wow. So he says, and I was afraid, which is the opposite of faith, it's fear, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. So I didn't do anything with my life, Jesus, because you know what, Jesus? I got hit by a car early on in life, and, and I've been crippled ever since, and, and that, that's the way I played my cards, and I blame you for allowing someone to hit me and cripple me. So I didn't do anything. I can't. I'm an invalid. I'm a victim. Watch how the Lord responds. It's different than what you think. But the Lord answered and said to them, You wicked and lazy servant. But I stop right there. He's talking to the believer, not an unbeliever. He calls the believer, the servant, wicked. Whoa. And then he says, and you're lazy, by the way. Oh. Oh. Oh, this is a, a punch to the gut. I thought Jesus was more politically correct. I thought he would never say that to a believer. He says, you're wicked and you're lazy. Why are they wicked? Because they're, they're throwing the blame back to him, challenging him, saying, you don't provide where you lead. They're saying, you, you're, you don't, you're, not, uh, you're not the God that provides. That's wicked. You make an accusation to God. That's wickedness. And then because of you making that accusation, you've taken that as your truth to become lazy. So I'm not going to do anything. I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I'm beat up. I can't give anything out. I got to just keep taking in the rest of my life. I got to be a sponge and just keep sucking in all the help I can get because I am so damaged. Don't you understand? Huh. Look how the Lord responds. So you ought to have deposited the, my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So you should have done something. Yeah. But what's in there? It's what he doesn't say. Do you notice that Jesus in the parable doesn't say, hey, man, you're wrong. I'm not like that. 
How can you make those accusations against me? I do provide. What are you talking about? It's not in the text, is it? There's something profound about that, by him not defending himself. Not that the Lord needs defending, but why doesn't the master say, hey, man, I'm not like that, because that would be my normal response. Hey, man, you're making an accusation that's not true. He doesn't defend his belief. Do you know why? It doesn't matter what the guy thinks. That's why. It doesn't matter if it's real and true that the master's like that, and it doesn't matter if it's made up. The issue then, Jesus turns it back on him and saying, so what? What did you do with the talent? Oh, you know what he just did? Disarmed everybody who will make an excuse, real or imagined. Woo, modern psychology would not like that one. Wow. You mean even if stuff happened legitimately to me that I can't use it as an excuse for bad behavior? No. Whether it's true or whether it's false, whether the master's that way or the master's not, Jesus is not even going there. We're not even having that conversation, Jesus says. The issue is, what did you do with my talent? Nothing. You're irresponsible, he says. So what is the result? So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, show for his life. Even what he has will be taken from him. You're going to lose rewards at the end of the day. He takes it away. When you start seeing this, you start realizing, then what can I control? I can control my life and how I respond to what's happened to me. That's what I'm responsible for. I'm not responsible for people doing wicked things to me, but I am responsible for how I'm going to respond to this and how I'm going to recover. That's the point of the parable. You're still responsible, imagined or not. So number three. Just because we can identify the reason for our behavior doesn't solve the problem. Again, this is like back to what I said about modern psychology. If modern psychology can rightly identify what happened to you, no doubt about it. Hey, this happened to you. Okay, it's true. It doesn't still solve the problem. You have to go beyond that. So excuses don't change anything. So for instance, if you say, well... Brandon, I got a slow metabolism. And the older I get, the slower my metabolism gets. And yet my, my hunger still remains as a 21-year-old. Now, I get that. I, I feel that now at 45. I have the same appetite I did when I'm 17. But if I ate like a 17-year-old, forget it. I'm packing on the weight, man. So, Or you might say, well, I'm taking meds that are making me gain weight and stuff like that. And so, yeah, okay. But what's the truth about this? It's true your metabolism is slowing down. It's true that maybe your meds are fouling up your weight and stuff like that. I get that. It's true. But what's the bigger story? The bigger story is if you overeat, you will gain weight. Now, I use that as a simple illustration that you're not going to get away from that principle. That you can make the excuses for anything you want. I'm this way because of that. Okay, great. The bigger story is, if you overeat, you will gain weight. 
And it's like that across the board. If you do something beyond what you're supposed to, X, Y, and Z will happen. And you cannot excuse that away. It's a hard pill to swallow, guys. Number four, we must realize that since we are an imager being made in the image of God, right? That we have more control than what we believe we have. A lot of people feel that they're out of control. They have no control over their life. And all these factors and circumstances are bearing in on them and they can't do anything. And so, for instance, if you're talking to a guy and you can see this or a gal, it doesn't matter, that won't take control of their life. You know, they'll come to you and say, hey, man, I'm having trouble with my job and my employer doesn't really see the value that I have. And and I'm always getting pushed aside and, and people are promoting over me and yada, yada, yada. And, and so they're telling you this over lunch. OK, let's pretend that. And you're like, OK, man, yeah, that's that's no good. And if they just saw the value of the, in me, Brandon, you know, then my life would be better. Oh, so you're dependent on other people making your life better. Is that what I'm hearing? That if your employer would just change, then life would be great, right? And my thing would be, well, if you don't like your employer, because I don't think they're going to change, why don't you find another job? Do you know what's going, what they'll say to you? Well, I really can't do that. They're, they're in my, my area of expertise. They're really not looking for people like me. And, and you know, Brandon, uh, you know, I just, you know, I have to grit it out, you know, and hopefully, you know, this guy was going to retire soon. Oh, why well, don't get into another profession? Because you and I have talked about getting into another profession. Maybe you should, oh, I can't do that. I'm too old for that. And I got to go back to school. And then I have to learn new track, uh, 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 you know, new things. And they really want young guys who have experience with this. I don't have any experience in this. So I really don't want to go back to school. And, and you see what's going? You see what the problem is? You keep having this conversation and you give the person options. Well, why don't you move? Why don't you get another job? Oh, I can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. And you just keep spinning, right? You ever had that conversation with a person? They don't want an answer. They don't want a solution. They don't want another option because they love being the victim. I don't like having lunches like that. It drains me because the person is not looking for a solution. They just want sympathy. And I don't have sympathy for someone who will not control their life, who someone who won't take steps to make life better. I see the same thing in the dating thing. People will say, Brandon, I'm married to this, uh, not married, I'm dating this gal that's really, you know, she's really narcissistic and uh, it's all about her and her job. And I said, why are you dating her? Are you insane? Well, she's got some good qualities. I know her. And she's throwing a big red flag saying, leave before it's too late. Well, she's, you know, she's really nice to me and, and this and that. And I said, so you really don't want to look for someone else, do you? I said, if you get married to this, this gal, it's, it, you're going to get into a nightmare. I'm telling you. And you're not going to change her. Oh, I can't do that. You know, it's just, it's so hard to find a woman these days and especially a Christian woman. And gosh, you know, Brandon, it's just, it's just really tough. You don't want an answer, do you? Go ahead. Go for it, man. Put the ring on her finger and see what happens. She'll be a test pilot for the broom factory here shortly. So be careful. They don't want to hear that. They just don't want to hear that. Right? Because they're making excuses because I'm not in control of my life. <laughs> wow. That's scary that people would choose that. 
Now, the thing, let's go to the next one, number five. The enormous freedom God grants to us makes us enormously responsible. Again, go back to Adam. Name the animals. Till the garden. He didn't give Adam, Adam a shovel. He didn't get, give Adam a, a, you know, a rake. You know, most people that work for an employer say, hey, you're not providing me all the tools I need to complete my job. I'm going to call OSHA. I'm going to call the labor uh, union or whatever. You're not giving me the supplies I need. What did supplies did Adam uh, get from God? <whistles> Till the ground. How am I supposed to do that? I don't know. Figure it out. That's, you, that's on you. So at some point, Adam had to figure out how to make a shovel and had to figure out how to make a hoe and a rake and whatever to do to clean the garden and keep it tidy and to cut the weeds and whatever, or not the weeds, but the the, the limbs and branches. Why didn't God give him the tools? Because he's responsible. So I want you to think about it. What is it about responsibility that makes us afraid? It's freedom. Now, here's the deal. It's Memorial Day. We're talking about our freedom. But you know, real freedom scares people. It scares dictators, doesn't it? It scares those in the regimes, China, Iraq, Iran, all those places. It scares free, freedom, scares people. And it actually scares individuals as well. Because with freedom is tied to it the responsibility to that freedom. And people don't like that. Well, so what do you mean, Brandon? Well, it means this. You have to grow up. You just have to become an adult. And a lot of people in our culture don't want to grow up. A lot of people, I call them Peter Pans. And you're like, what do you mean you call them Peter Pans? It's, well, the term is the boy who never grew up. There are 55-year-old men who are Peter Pans. They have never grown up. They're emotionally a child inside. Because no one's ever held their feet to the fire. They have never been responsible for anything. They've never had to make hard decisions. They've never had to stay up at night worrying about things. And when you have a life like that and you live in your mom's basement to 45, and then you finally branch out on your own at 55, you're nothing but a Peter Pan. And that's what our culture is starting to see. And, and because true responsibility True freedom is scary because it's all on you and it's on me. And dude, that keeps me up at night. That scares me with all that. Think about, guys, the responsibility of raising a family in this culture. If that doesn't keep you up at night, I don't know what does. It's scary. And then, and then you see that culture seeping into your family. That's what responsibility is about. It's about becoming an adult. Six, we've been given the ability as an imager to create in a secondary way. Huh, what do you mean by that? Well, we can't create ex nihilo like God. But we have been given creative abilities as in a secondary. We can fashion things and make them into stuff. We can take wood and turn it into a table. Okay, that's a, a creation thing in a secondary way. The angels do not possess this ability, by the way. You've never seen an angel city. You've never seen an angel car. Only humans do this. Animals don't either. So we have a creative ability. But let me go further with that creative, creative ability. You have the ability to create the kind of life you want. 
Now, and we're not talking about pie in the sky. Hey, I'm going to be Tiger Woods or I'm going to be, uh, you know, Tom Brady and I'm going to win four Super Bowls or whatever, six Super Bowls. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about reality here. That life's going to throw you all these curveballs. Life's going to be tough on you. They're gonna, you're going to have a lot of bruises and scrapes and cuts. But you still have the creative ability to choose the path you're going to be on in regards to that. That's creative ability. Some people don't exercise that creative ability. They just stay stuck. Or they choose a path that makes them bitter at God and the rest of humanity. So basically, you've got really three options. I choose the path I want to take in proper response to how God would want me to respond, stuck at the fork in the road, or I'm going to get really grumped up. And I tell you what, on this other path, there's a lot of twisted sisters and a lot of bitter brothers. Oh, man. Have you ever seen Zach Christian on that path? Whew. Cantankerous. Hard to be around. I run from that. I, it's just, ooh. There's oozing, oozing with disgruntledness towards God and towards other. And woe is me. Poor me. God doesn't put up with that. You have the creative ability to say, I'm going to create a path that makes a good life for me. It may not be ideal, but it can be good. And I can overcome these obstacles and fight them with my background, with what I'm doing. Let me end on this. As long as you and I demand that life be fair or just, you will never be responsible if that happens. I come back to what I said. You must embrace the fall. In the fall, it says that life is not going to be fair and it's not going to be just. You and I sit here and watch people in our society get rewarded and they shouldn't be rewarded. We see people who should be put behind bars not be put behind bars. We also see good people, Christians, persecuted. And we sit here scratching our head. I don't get it. Well, the only way you can get it is to understand the fall has happened. It's an upside-down world. In our minds, we recall the fall. And this is what the, the mindset is. Well, in my mind, good people should be rewarded and bad people should be punished. Yep. Prior to the fall, that was okay. And in the millennial kingdom, it'll be like that, but not right now. That's not happening. If you hold on to that mindset, you will be forever stuck. That, and you'll say, life's unfair. I just might as well give up. You will stay stuck. Let me end on the story about a gal who changed her life. This gal, horrible upbringing, man. Parents were neglectful. She was being molested. Horrible environment. Horrible. And at that point, you, you say, you know, a neglect of parents being molested. And you're thinking... She's on the path of a high percentage of drugs, alcohol, sexual immorality. I mean, you just name it, it's going to happen because it's, she's high risk now for that. Didn't get any help when she was young. They, the parents didn't care. She had a choice in her life of whether or not she's going to let that affect her or she's going to turn it around. And this girl chose the right path. Despite all that had happened to her, she got in touch with these Christians that showed her who Jesus was. And she got saved later on in life. And that was a turning point for her. 
because the Lord showed her you can still live an abundant life despite what's happened to you. And she saw through these Christians that there were tools available to help her along the way. And she had access to those tools, and she used the tools and got healthier, spiritually healthier. She got saved, and then she went on the path of maturity. Exactly what you're supposed to do. She was able then to go back to school because she didn't finish school. She went back to school, got her diploma. Then after that, she wanted to go to college. She went to college and paid for it herself. She worked like three jobs or whatnot, and she paid for her college herself, and she graduated. Then after that, she went to grad school and then got a master's. And then to, for this today, she's in a very high professional uh, position at a company. She has her master's, and she's doing quite well. And to top it off, she didn't marry someone like her parents. She married someone who was, got, had a godly character and had, had a good basis for Christianity in their lives already. So she married successfully to a guy. They, had a wonderful, they have a wonderful family. And she's on the path of recovery and getting past all that she went through. So the point I'm making is, what separated her from the rest of everyone else who becomes victims and doesn't get out of that? It's one thing. She owned it. She did not deny what happened to her, but she said, I'm going to make good out of this. That's the difference. God wants us to own it. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.